Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. In verse 12, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is something that God is constantly working on us to bring this into a reality in our own lives. Paul said that he knows how to be abased and he knows how to abound. He knows how to be full and he knows how to be hungry, how to abound and suffer need. Now, those things are really talking about every type of situation that exists. Paul says essentially, and I'm paraphrasing when I say this, I know how to go through the good times and I know how to go through the difficult times. I know what to do. I know how to handle times that are easy. I know how to handle times that are challenging. You could extend this to people also because the principle is the same. I know how to deal with people who are easy to get along with, cooperative. I know how to deal with people who are hostile who are out to hurt me. There's really not much difference, he's saying. And the reason is, when he says in Philippians 4.12, and this is the key to the whole thing, everywhere and in all things, so in both situations, good and bad, everywhere, no matter where, no matter what, no matter who, I am instructed. The word instructed is memu imai. It's the perfect passive indicative of muel. That means that he receives the instruction. Someone is instructing him. And the word itself literally means to initiate into the mysteries. So Paul is saying that it's not that I'm instructed in doctrine per se. It's not that I have a good command of the prophets. It's that I've been initiated into God's mysteries. And because he was initiated into God's mysteries, he knew how to deal with positive and negative, difficult and easy, challenging and edifying the whole nine yards, he knew how to deal with it. Because he was initiated into the mysteries. When he said both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, the condition is not the issue. This is what that's bringing out. The condition is not the issue but rather the initiation into the mysteries is the issue. The difference in the conditions is only external. It's only by sight. Really, in truth, there is no difference. If I am initiated into the mysteries of God, there is no difference between that which is edifying and that which is unedifying, that which is easy, that which is difficult that which uplifts, that which challenges. There's no difference. 
There's only knowing how to live in the mysteries of God. Now, mysteries of God are not difficult. And then he says, I can do all things. I can do is iskuo, and it means to be strong, to have power, to exert, to wield power, and to have strength to overcome. So it's not that he's saying, I and my ability, I and myself, I and my education, I and my gifts, I and my personality, I can do all these things. I have the ability, this is how I am, I have the ability, I can do all these things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am being empowered through Christ. Now, through is the word N. It's a preposition denoting fixed position in time, place, and state, and by implication, instrumentality. Now, this is the key to the whole thing. Mysteries and through. Then he continues, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens is enduna montai. It means to empower and to endue its strength. So this is very similar in meaning to school. It's to empower and to endue with strength. So what is the mystery of God? Through which Christ strengthens me. Well, what Paul is pointing out here, and this is why he's using specifically the words that he's using, is that the power is not by doctrine per se. Often Paul emphasizes the word of God after all, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So he often emphasizes our need for the Word and our relationship to the Word, but not here. The power is not by doctrine per se, but by the relationship to Christ through doctrine, that doctrine produces. That's the mystery. The relationship to Christ that I have produced by the Word of God. Now, in the Old Testament, and this is why many people consider this a mystery, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people, although there were times when He would come upon them to empower them for some sort of service. We see this, for example, when the temple was being built, the artisans were empowered, enabled by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't reside in them. The Holy Spirit resides in us. This is the mystery. Those people, they knew God, they knew the Word of God, they knew about Christ, they were looking forward to Christ, they knew the teachings of the prophets, they knew the law. They did not know the Holy Spirit. They knew of Him, they didn't know Him. They knew of Christ, they didn't know Christ. And so, the mystery is this. That in Ephesians 2.15 and 16, at the cross, we became one new man with Christ. 
In Romans 5.8, at the cross in the original language, we became one entity with the love of God. This is the mystery. Nobody conceived in those days that there could be a oneness between God and man. But yet, that's the whole purpose, that there would be a oneness between God and man. That's why the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13.8. And in Genesis 2.7, in the original language, it's evident that the blood of Christ permeates everything created. That was well understood in the days of Melchizedek. So the mystery is this, that we are one person with Christ. So when Paul is bringing out that it's not so much by doctrine, but our relationship to Christ, that doctrine produces the empowerment that I receive is necessarily through the cross. And in Galatians 2.20, without that cross being a practical reality in my life, I will not experience the benefits of the mystery. I will not experience what it means to be one person with Christ. And yet, Paul is saying that my oneness with Christ is why I can be abased and abound. Why I can be full and hungry. Why I can abound and suffer need. Why it's really all the same thing to me. Because it's not about my circumstance. It's about my relationship to my Savior. It's about the fact that my Savior and I are one entity, one new man. That we are one person. I am his body in 1 Corinthians 12.27. He is my head. We are one entity. Therein is the mystery and also therein is the power. That's the empowerment. When I tap in to the life of God in me through the cross, then I have all the power that he has because I'm one person with him. That means that it is just as easy for me to overcome as it is for him to overcome. I can have all the confidence that God has because I'm one person with God. I can be completely assured of God's faithfulness because God cannot deny himself. Because he cannot deny himself, he cannot deny me. He would be denying himself if he were to deny me. That's why I know that all things are for my sake because all things are from God. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 2 Corinthians 4.15. If they are from God, they are with God's purpose. Because I'm one person with Christ, then all things must necessarily be for my sake because the one that I am one person with is the one who created all things. In 2 Corinthians 12.8 Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, what he is saying here is not that the fact that I have unmerited favor and that I will forgive you of your sins is sufficient for you. What he is saying by grace is not the one-third of grace that it is unmerited favor is. Remember, grace has three dimensions. If I see it as one-dimensional, there's much about grace that will become ineffective for me and I won't necessarily be able to trust it because I don't understand it. But the dimension of grace that he's talking about here is not unmerited favor. The dimension of grace that he's talking about here is the Hebrews 4.16 throne of grace. The government of grace is sufficient for me. I had something I was dealing with. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my government is sufficient for you. You don't need to be delivered from your circumstance. You need to learn how to live in my government. My government is sufficient for you. Now, the past couple of weeks we've been talking about the government of God and we've seen that in Revelation 1.17 we enter into the government of God from faith to faith. That means that in Romans 10.17 we allow the word of God to produce faith in us and then we apply the faith Apply the word of God by faith in the details of our lives, in the practicalities of our lives. And then we have a government of grace functioning in our lives. God's government comes faith to faith. So, what he is saying here, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need me to change your circumstances. You need to learn how to live faith to faith in your circumstances. You need to learn how to live in my government in your circumstances. You need to learn how to hear from God to produce faith in you regarding the specifics of your circumstances. And then you need to learn how to appropriate, practically apply the word of God in your circumstances, in your decision making and in your thinking. And then you will have a government in your life. That is sufficient for you. And then he said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And this is the part that challenges us. We'll often welcome the government of God in our lives because we recognize our need for doctrine. We recognize our need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We recognize our need for truth. That's not too hard to recognize. But this second part challenges us. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is mature and completed in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, what we're seeing here is that the oneness of the one you man is not compatible with me in myself trying to overcome my infirmities. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, this is something that we need to wrap our mind around. When I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, I cannot in my own ability look for strength. That's what people want. That's where he started. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I wasn't looking to have weakness to become my strength. I was looking for a situation to depart so I could live in my natural strength. So that I could be naturally comfortable apart from the oneness that I have with Christ. I wanted to be strong in myself to overcome things so that I would not have to exercise faith through the cross and live through the oneness that I have with him. I wanted to be able to do it without faith so that I could preserve my sin nature, so that I could be good and comfortable in my flesh and not be challenged to grow into the fullness of who he is. And so I often ask for strength. The problem is my strength is made perfect in his weakness his government is sufficient for me. When you ask for strength, he'll give you weakness. And that one is challenging. But when you want strength, he'll bring weakness. And that is the answer to the prayer. Because in your natural strength, you have no strength. But in the oneness that you have with the Savior, that's where strength lies. But the power of Christ resting upon you is incompatible with natural strength. You will either have natural strength, which is really a deception, but it's an appeasement of the flesh, appeasement of the oats in nature. Or, you will have the power of God, in which case, you will have weakness in your natural man. In 2 Corinthians 12.2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now Paul, of course, is talking about himself here. This is when he was stoned to death in Lystra. And I know such a man. For in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, why did God allow this to take place? This weakness to come and this infirmity that he had. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, lest I should be exalted above measure, and that's really self-exalted, or exalted by people 
in natural terms. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul had been given an extremely remarkable and unusual gift from God, many of them. First of all, after the crucifixion, Paul was taught personally by Christ in the Arabian Desert for three years. Then he was actually taken into heaven and saw things that he was not permitted to speak on earth. He received revelation that was absolutely unusual, absolutely unique. God entrusted him with understanding and knowledge. He saw things firsthand that were really only for heaven to see. That was extremely unusual. Even the prophets didn't get this. And so he's saying, lest I should be exalted above measure, God gave an infirmity that was delivered by a messenger from Satan to keep me weak. Because the opportunity for natural strength there was huge. Now, anything that I think is my strength or anything that I rely on outside of the Savior, God will upend it. It doesn't matter if it's a circumstance. It doesn't matter if it's a possession. It doesn't matter if it's a relationship. Whatever it is, if I rely on it, for my natural provision, rather than relying on Christ to be my provision for all things, rather than having Him be my strength through the oneness of the one new man, God will upend that thing. Sometimes you wonder why things are going the way we are, why we are challenged in the way we are. Perhaps situations are harder than they ought to be. Perhaps relationships are not going my way. Perhaps I made a lot of money. I felt secure like that one guy that I talked to all those years ago. And one day he lost $10 million, everything he had. Perhaps something like that happens where I suffer great loss like Job did in Job 1 and 2. It can be for testing, yes. But. If I'm relying on those things and I'm not relying on Christ because of those things in those areas of my life, then he'll append it. Then he'll tear it out of my life. And he has to. In Genesis 3.10, after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, after they made themselves fig leaves because they saw that they were naked, after God called to them saying, Adam, where are you? And they hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And God finally did 
find them, so to speak. He did speak to them and he asked Adam what was going on here. Adam said to God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The natural tendency is to fear. This is why people look for natural strength. Because the natural tendency is to fear. Yet, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in Christ. But the natural tendency is to fear. And so people look for strength. And when it comes to relationships, that's where the fear can be very powerful in some cases. Circumstances can be equally powerful. In circumstances, people will try to manipulate their circumstance with provisions. Maybe through saving a whole lot of money so they can have this cushion. And I'm not against saving money. I'm all for it. I'm all for good stewardship of all sorts. But it cannot become my provision. If it becomes my provision, God will upend it. Sometimes people are afraid and they're insecure in their, in their relationships. And that can come through various means can come through a bad self-image. It can come through negative experiences. People will often manipulate within their relationships and they'll use either anger or emotions to maintain self-based control. Because they want people to be just so Not relying on God in those relationships, but relying on the other person to sustain the comfort of their Adamic nature. They will often be angry or emotional. And they manipulate this way. Often they'll try to punish the other person with their anger or bring guilt with their emotions. In some cases, they'll even threaten with their anger, and it's all manipulation. This is the Adamic nature. They think they will help Adam, and God says, Adam must die. Adam must die. They say, God, help my Adamic nature Help me feel comfortable. Help me feel in control. And God says, I will not. Adam must die. And this becomes very challenging for them. And if they do not humble themselves toward doctrine, producing that relationship in their life with God to the point where he is their provision because they live in the oneness that they have with him, then they will try to manipulate circumstances and relationships. That's where things become very challenging for them. Because God will upend their relationships and he will upend their circumstances. Jesus said in Matthew 16:24, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 
Let him stop being self-oriented, get into the life of the cross, which is the life of Christ in Galatians 2.20, and come after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you desire to save your life, you are in the process of losing it. If you desire to preserve yourself, your self-life, you are in the process of dying. A lot of people are miserable, they don't know why, and it's because they're in the process of dying. John 12, 24 said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. You cannot let Adam live. You don't want to let Adam live. Adam is not your friend. Some people treat the old sin nature, the Adamic nature, as though that's something precious. It's not precious. It's condemned to die. Because it's vile. It's wicked. It's not precious. The problems that you have are not because of your circumstances. The problems that you have are not because of people. The problems that you have are because of your Adamic nature. It's not your friend. In John 15.5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is reflecting that Ephesians 2.15 and 16 relationship that we have with him as the one you man. I'm the vine... I'm the source of your life. You are the branches. You are the manifestation of the vine. You are the manifestation of Christ because you are one new man. You are the body of Christ. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You want natural strength. Jesus says, without me, you have no strength. You can do nothing. The only way you have anything at all is to abide in me and my word abide in you. Then you have something. Abide in the love of God. Let the mind of Christ abide in you. Then you have something. Then you have fruit. Apart from that, you have nothing. Your natural strength is nothing. Actually, it's less than nothing. Because he is the vine and we are the branches, because we are the one new man with our Savior, Natural strength or reliance on that which is natural, that which is apart from God, is foreign to who God is. Let me repeat that. Natural strength or that which I rely on apart from God is foreign to who God is. And therefore, it's like an infection in the body of Christ individually. The one new man is infected when I depend on natural strength or I rely on something apart from Christ. When I rely on natural provisions. This is my comfort. The fact that I have this job, this person, this much savings, these things, this house, whatever it is. This is my comfort zone. This is what I rely on. 
this is where I'm safe. That's an infection. It's an infection in the oneness that you have with Christ. Therefore, that infection must be removed. So God upends anything that I rely on that's not of Him or anything that I use as my natural strength. God will remove it. Because He's removing an infection in my spiritually organic oneness with Him. God is not looking for us to live in an infection. God is looking for us to live in superabundant life, which comes only through Him. But when I look for natural strength, I can't do all things, because an infection does not strengthen me, an infection weakens me. Yet Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I'm doing great, whether I'm doing badly, whether my circumstances are helpful, whether they're not helpful, whether my relationships are edifying, whether they're not edifying, it doesn't make any difference at all. I can do all things. I'm empowered through the oneness that I have in Christ with Him. My union to my Savior is what empowers me. Because of this empowerment, I can do absolutely anything by the empowerment of my relationship that I have with God. There's my strength. I looked for God to take away my weakness, my problem, my illness, my infirmity, whatever that was. And God said it's sufficient, it's effective for you to live in the government of God, faith to faith, receiving the word of God for your circumstances, applying the word of God in your circumstances, living from one measure of faith to an application of that measure of faith and then growing, therein is the government of God, that is your strength. In Proverbs 3.5, if you want to live in real strength, if you want to do all things through Christ, if you want to have the ability to deal with your people, positive or negative, whatever they are, whoever they are, however things are going, if you want the ability to deal with it, if you want the ability to deal with your circumstances, if you want the ability to deal with things with your health, no matter what it is, if you want the ability, if you want the empowerment, you're going to do it through the relationship you have with Him. And therefore, in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding cannot be a source of strength for you. Your own understanding cannot be a provision for you because it is an infection in your union to Christ. Trust in the Lord with all your frame of reference. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Why? Because the hand has to communicate with the head if the hand wants to do anything at all. The hand cannot function apart from the head. 
people say, well, this is a small thing. Well, my hand could say, well, picking up that bottle over there is a small thing. Why should it have to communicate with my head? Because my hand cannot even control its muscles without the input from my brain. We cannot do anything apart from Christ. Apart from me, you can do absolutely not one thing, John 15.5. But if you abide in me, and my word, therefore my mind abides in you, my love abides in you, and you abide in the mind of Christ, then you'll bear much fruit. And then he continues in verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. This is dangerous for people. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Why? Because when I start to think with the natural man, I leave the government of God and I enter into the government of Satan. There are only the two governments. There is no fellowship, no union whatsoever between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You are either drawing near to the kingdom of God or you are drawing near to the kingdom of Satan. There is no middle ground. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't draw near to the enemy's kingdom. His demons will promote you in that through familiar spirits, which are spirits that will encourage you to think in natural terms. Familiar spirits are not the same thing as familiarity. Familiarity is acquaintance with something to the point where it's no longer precious. Familiar spirits are a category of demons that are active in believers' lives trying to take them out of the government of God. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Depart from the government of Satan. Departure from the government of grace, which comes by faith in Romans 5.2, is entry into the government of Satan. Likewise, departure from the government of Satan is entry into the government of God. There are just the two kingdoms. In Philippians 3.7 What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. What was it that you relied on? For the sake of the one you man, count them lost. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that is to say, to the oneness of the one new man. If I hold on to the things that I should be counting laws, then what I consider as waste is my relationship to God. But, 
if I let those things go and consider them loss, then what I am gaining is the fullness of a relationship to God. Many times people try to live halfway. A relationship with God holding on to the natural. But you can't do that. There is no such thing. God doesn't permit it. God will not allow me to live in a diseased condition, spiritually speaking. God will take that out. Instead, I count those things lost. Other translations say refuse. The King James calls it dung. I count those things lost. Why? Because there is no provision in them. They are a substitute for my relationship to God. Instead, I allow myself, in fact, I rejoice over it. When I enter into challenging or difficult situations, when I enter into places where I feel weak, when I enter even into hostile relationships, when I have to deal with them, because there's nothing natural for me to rely on there. And so it's much easier for me to rely on my Savior there. Well, when I rely on my Savior, I will manifest and also witness all the power that is in God for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through the power of God. But I cannot do them through natural strength. Natural strength is your weakness. And your weakness is where the power of God is made perfect. So you don't look for natural strength. You develop the oneness that you have with the Savior in the one you man through the mind of Christ. Receiving faith for your situations through doctrine and then applying that doctrine in your situations toward them and also in your decisions and your thinking. Then you have a government which brings you the strength that you need. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.